Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See ye that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. That's just by in a word of prayer. Father, will you speak this morning? Speak to our hearts. Speak into our lives. Speak to each and every one of us this morning, Lord. Speak clear. And Lord, speak loudly enough for every heart to hear your word and to receive it. Father, we worship your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's none, there is none like him. So this morning, Lord, even as we have sang, open the eyes of my heart. And Lord, even as you open Lydia's heart, will you open your people's heart this morning? And will you glorify your own precious name in the midst? So Father, we love you and we worship you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This uh, title is Riches of the New Covenant. There's so many riches in the New Covenant that... I would say we could be from here to all eternity if we were to try and plumb the depths of them all. We will take a few weeks and every week will be different because I'm going to do, the Lord willing, I'm going to do an alphabetical order list of the riches of the new covenant. Starting with A and ending with Z or for our American friends that will listen, Z. So we're going to go from A to Z and we're going to pick... Things that are to do with the new covenant over the next few weeks. And we're going to really look at them and apply them to our own lives. This morning, first of all, I want to maybe do an introduction to it, to the new covenant. And this morning, uh, as we look at our reading, look at the company that you should be keeping. Look at the company that every redeemed saint keeps. 
Look at the company that every child of God would keep. Look at the company, if you're not saved, that you could be keeping every day of your life and in eternity. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. But ye are come to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Look at the place where we are sat in Christ. We are come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and we have become the heavenly Jerusalem. That's when Christ is gathering his precious jewels, his treasure together. And two, notice the company, an innumerable company of angels. When you're under the new covenant, this morning as we sing, as we gather together one with another, and in the presence of the Lord, you're in the company of innumerable number of angels. And the innumerable number of angels can't even grasp. They look into the things of your salvation. They want to know what it's like to be saved. Because the angels that rebelled against God were cast out of heaven. And they'll never be redeemed again. They'll never be saved as you and I were redeemed and saved, bought with the precious blood of our kinsman, Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they want to know the special thing that we have obtained. And they look into it. They're wanting to know about it. But yet God and his grace and his love and in his mercy has looked upon us and brought us into this great company. And the angels are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you and I singing this morning that wonderful chorus, Holy, 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 I want to see you. We were singing in unison with the angels of heaven this morning. I trust you were, I trust you were worshipping the Lord for he is great and greatly to be praised. Look what it says in verse 23. For we are come to notice to the general assembly, the called out ones, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, the firstborn being Christ himself, which are written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. Some people take great delight and great hope that their name is written on a church registrar and they belong to a certain denomination. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But when your name has been written in heaven, that's what counts. For on the day when you pass this scene of time and you drift on out into sleep and into eternity, your name must be written in heaven. I trust our names are written in heaven this morning, that you're born again of the Spirit and washed in the blood. Notice, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, notice our company is also unto God the judge of all. Our company is Almighty God this morning. In the new covenant, you're keeping company with Almighty God this morning. And notice, unto the spirits of just men, made perfect what a company to keep ask yourself this morning what's been my company over Christmas time the new year has my company been in unrighteous company ungodly company 
You know, your company that you keep will wear off on you. And you'll speak like your company after a while. You'll act like your company after a while. You'll order your life like your company after a while. But as a believer, we should be keeping company with the company that is mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 12. Do you keep company with those who are gossips? Then you'll become a gossip. Do you keep company with those who are slanderers? You'll become a slanderer. Do you become, do you keep company with those who are wine bibbers? Then you'll become a wine bibber. Or do you keep company with those who love the Lord Jesus? For you will then come to love the Lord Jesus. Do you keep company with those who worship the Lord Jesus? For then you will be a worshipper of the Lord Jesus. What sort of company do you keep? Saying we are new covenant believers as it were. What sort of company have we kept this weekend? Has it been company that's been worldly and unattractive in the things of God? What sort of company have we kept? You'll find it maybe some of us at times drift away to bad company or company that is a a company that doesn't hold in high regard or respect the name of Christ, blaspheming the name of our Lord and using it as a curse or a swear word. And we tend to then devalue the name of Almighty God. Here is the company that we are to keep. But there's greater company Or should I say more personal company mentioned in the next verse. Verse 24, we are come to Jesus. Notice that. And to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Where are you come to this morning? There's people say, oh, God this and God that and God the other thing. And I believe in God and God is my God. And But who is he? Who is he? Is he personal to you? Is he personal and intimate to you and to me in our lives? Who is this God that we speak about? Is he so intimate that we speak to him, that we talk with him, that we read about him, that we love him and we worship him, that we know him in an intimate sense, in an intimate fashion and in an intimate way? Is he the Lord Jesus Christ? We are come to Jesus. Who is he? He is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Notice what we are come to. And to the blood of sprinkling. You see the, the lamb that was slain for the remission of sin, for the atonement The blood that was taken from that lamb was purposely shed. On purpose it was shed for atonement. But the high priest then took the blood into the holy of holies. The most holy place where that 
Ark of the Covenant set with the cherubims touching wing to wing upon the lid of it known as the mercy seat. And there as the high priest goes into that veil once a year on his own to make atonement for the sin of the nation, what happens? He takes the blood and he sprinkles it upon the furniture. You see, it's okay the blood being shed. And it was shed purposely by the Father. Shed the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it must be applied. And it must be applied to every heart. The sprinkling is the application of the blood of the Lamb. You know where we're come to this morning when we break bread and we take of the cup? We have remembered that the blood was shed for our sin. And Lord, you have sprinkled us. I personally claim the blood of the Lamb. And you know, because the high priest could only go in once a year and him alone. When Christ cried, it is finished. And that blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins was shed once and for all. We're told the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. And all of our sins were paid for in full. Nothing to add, nothing to do. Nothing in our hands we bring. It's simply to his cross we cling this morning. And that blood was sufficient. And it's new. And it's fresh as though it's only slain this morning. The power of the blood still avails for you and I this morning. Under the new covenant of Christ. So we're come to Jesus and to the sprinkling or the covering the cleansing of his blood in the new covenant. Now let's look at this for a moment. I say we'll do an introduction this morning, then we'll start at maybe part A next week. The term new covenant is mentioned some four times in our Bibles. Now I say our Bibles, let me just clarify. Covenant is mentioned many times, but new covenant the term. And when I say our Bibles, I speak of the authorized version. Okay, because it might be changed in some of the more spurious versions, as I would call them. So, here we have the four times in our Bibles the New Testament is also, or sorry, the New Covenant is mentioned, and six times in the New Testament the term New Testament is used. For example, Matthew 26 and 28, Mark chapter 14 and verse 24, Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25, and 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and Hebrews 9 and verse 15. They all speak of the New Testament, the New Testament. But the term New Covenant, it means the same, but the term New Covenant is mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments in our Bibles. All the references to the word New Testament is the Greek word diatheke. And when you go into the Old Testament and you go into the Hebrew language there, the word used for covenant is the word bereth or breath. And it's used some 284 times. 
in the Old Testament. That's the word covenant. The term new covenant, but is mentioned four times in Scripture. I want to speak for a moment on the covenants that have been made. This is important. Because you see, people tend to think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And people tend to think that the God of the Old Testament is maybe like a brother of the God of the New Testament. That's not so. The God of the Old is the God of the New. He's the one and the exact same God, the never-changing God, the great eternal spirit. That he is the God of grace and mercy. He comes to bleed and die for a fallen world. Comes to redeem and to save you and I. Here are five, what we could call, major covenants that are made in Scripture. Now we could argue of an Adamic covenant and so on. But let's just start at the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant was when God made a covenant in Genesis chapter 9 with Noah. The Noahic covenant. And you remember they sent in the flood and all who got into the ark would be saved. And only eight souls that were told that were saved from the flood. Noah, his three sons and their wives. Eight souls alone that were saved. And God made a, a covenant with Noah. And he said he would never flood the earth again in Genesis chapter 9. And he put the great big rainbow in the sky. We learn it at Sunday school and, and so on. You see, that bow, every time the believer sees that bow, the believer can look at a promise of God. And that promise still stands today. Every time you're driving up a road and you see the lovely big rainbow in the sky, scientists try to put a scientific fact upon it. Whether there's a scientific fact or not, it's God who created it and set it there. And God keeps his promises. That's the reason for the rainbow. It's God reminding you, God reminding me that his word is true, that his word is forever settled in heaven. God's word is sure and God will not let you down according to his word. Set a rainbow in the sky and he said he would never flood the earth again and he has kept his word. And you know he will never flood the earth again. Because he said so. And whatever God tells you when you're in your time of study. Whatever God tells you when you're in the time of seeking his face. And whatever God speaks to your heart and tells you in his word. You can stand upon it. We sang this morning standing on the promises of God. You can stand upon it. And God proves his word is true. That his word is tried and tested through all these years. For the rainbow still stands in the sky. And the earth has not been flooded again. Take hope that God knows you this morning. Made a covenant with us. Second covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. Now we could spend a lot of weeks in this, but we'll just glance over these. The Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was a father of race and a father of faith. And the Lord promised Abraham a man that had no children, a man who was a hundred years of age when eventually God's promise came to pass. But he promised a man who had no children that his wife Sarah, who was barren, who was old, who was 90, who, that she would have a child. And of course, 
Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And Abraham was also promised that in Genesis chapter 12, that the Lord says, And thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham was told his seed would be as numerous as the stars of heaven, and the sand, the seashore, and the dust of the earth, and, and that he would be a father of many nations. And we have seen God's plan and purpose come to pass. And we have seen how there's also not only men of race, but men of faith. Men who have come under the covenant through Abraham and his faith. And God promised Abraham great and precious promises that God would be his shield and exceeding great reward. And Abraham has found it so. This morning it shows that God is a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. Thirdly, we'll look at the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant was a covenant God made with Moses and Israel when they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. That coincides with Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read verse 18. For you're not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which words they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. The writer here is saying that, understand, these believers had come from Judaism. Put their trust in Christ and because of maybe some persecution or hardness, they're starting to backslide. They're starting to turn away from Christ and go back to their old religion, the old Judaism. And that's why I I get perplexed when I see Christians trying to bring Jews back to Jewish roots. I don't get it. I don't understand it. For the book of Hebrews was written because of that. It's bringing all to Christ. Here we have the mount that Moses ascended Sinai to receive the tablets. And it says they could not keep the law. They could not keep the Ten Commandments. And of course we know that the Lord came down and there was a great cloud. There was thunders. There was lightning. And and while Israel are at the foot of the mountain, they're not allowed to touch it unless the Lord slays them. Even a beast or an animal was not allowed to touch it. And the Lord says, I'll slay you. Such is the vehemency of Almighty God. Such is the power and the awesome might of God. And he says, tell them, Moses, not to touch the mountain. Here, there's no grace at this point. Now, I need you to think about this for a moment. I need you to really think about this for a moment and draw close to me to tell you this. If that be how God's power and wrath could be, what will it be like for the ungodly and the unsaved man and woman when they stand before him in the day of judgment? I think about that. Let me say it again. They couldn't touch the mountain for the awesome power of God. 
would consume them. And if that be it, what would it be like for the ungodly or the unbeliever, the unsaved in the day of judgment and God's wrath? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? I can sense the presence of the Lord. That's a sobering thought. Here, Moses is up the mountain hearing the voice of God. Their believer is where you and I are in this great company. Revelation of God up the mountain. While everyone else hears nothing but thunder and lightning and wrath. By this Noahic covenant, Moses comes down to bring the tablets of stone with the ten commandments on them. And of course, no man can keep the commandments. Stones are broken. And no man keeping them. All men come under Condemnation again because of the law. The law is perfect, converting the soul. There's nothing wrong with the law. But God is showing us what it takes to attain heaven in our own means and methods and with our own works. Impossible. So don't think you're going to die without Christ and you'll be in a better place. Don't think you'll die without Christ and be in a better place. For the man and the woman who dies without Christ are bound for hell. But as a believer, as a follower and a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who are keeping this company of Hebrews chapter 12, who are under the new covenant, You break those commandments every day. I break those commandments every day. I endeavor to do as the Lord commands, but I fail him every day. But it's called the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Thank God for his grace this morning. For there, but for the grace of God, go I. Let's go up the mountain and have revelation of Almighty God. Let's go up the mountain and hear the voice of God and not the thunderous rolls of wrath. But go up the mountain and hear his voice. And drawing nigh unto God that he would draw nigh unto us. The Mosaic covenant is broken. Fourthly we have the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is found in Second Samuel Chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 especially. Now, we'll not look in these up for we just glance past them. You can read them when you go home. By the way, Mosaic Covenant, if you want to go to Exodus 19 and 20, when you go home, you'll find it there. The Davidic Covenant, it's known as the perpetual throne of David. God keeping his word that David would not want a man to sit on the throne while the sun is in the the sky, while the moon is there, while the stars are there, 
while the seasons are here, he says that David would never want a man to sit on his throne. And God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, for this is out of the loins of Abraham comes the throne of David. And fifthly is the new covenant, the covenant of Christ, the covenant of blood. It's called the covenant of grace. Let's look at it for a moment in the New Old Testament. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, please. Jeremiah chapter 31. Sometimes we mention sobering words that people don't like to use in pulpits. Not every pulpit, but a lot of people still do. But a lot of people don't like to use the term of telling people without Christ they're bound for hell. (laughs) And it's sobering. But you know, with Christ you're bound for heaven. That's the long and the short of it. In Christ you're bound for the kingdom. And outside of Christ you're bound for an eternal damnation. Go with me to Jeremiah 31 please. And verse 31. Behold the days come saith the Lord. That I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now we're thinking of these ten commandments and now they are unable to be kept. So what was that old covenant like? Verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Which my covenant they break although I was an husband unto them saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those deaths, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now notice this, where are the commandments? They're not on tables of stone, rules and regulation for you and I to quake and fear and tremble for we are unable to keep it. We are unable to do that which is on them to the T, for we will break them. But they are written in our hearts, and they're in our minds, and they become precepts of living. That the indwelling Holy Spirit, He leads us and guides us in the way which we should go. God guides us with His eye. Here is the thing that I want to show you. Here's something for you to mark down here. Hebrews chapter 8, please. Hebrews chapter 8. It is mentioned again in the New Testament, referring to that of Jeremiah chapter 31. Hebrews chapter 8, please, beginning to read of verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry... Who is the writer talking about? Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Notice that. It's the new covenant. It's a better covenant because we cannot keep it. Christ has kept the law for us. His word is written in our hearts. His spirit indwells us. We're washed in the blood and we're living in the grace of God. 
It's all in the Lord Jesus. That's how precious Christ should be to you, brother, this morning. Knowing that you were unable to come to the mountain which could not be touched. In other words, you and I would be lost. You, brother, and you, sister, you and I would be lost. We would be bound for hell. We would not be able to come to the throne of God but for the coming of Christ to bring in the new covenant. Lost for all eternity. Bound for a lake of fire. Brother, this sounds a lot like the gospel this morning. That's because it is the gospel this morning. That's because it's a glorious gospel of Christ this morning. It's because it elevates him. Magnifies the king of glory. Who became flesh and died for me. That is our saviour this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read the rest of this for a moment. Verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Which was established upon, notice, better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless. Then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them. He saith, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. And he goes on to say what Jeremiah has said. Here's the thing. Notice what it says here in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now here's the thing. Did God give us a faulty covenant in the Old Testament? Did he give us a faulty covenant? What was wrong with the covenant? There was nothing wrong with God's side of the covenant. It tells us what was wrong with the covenant in verse 8. For finding fault with them. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. But the law of the Lord is weak through our flesh. In other words, you and I have no hope of obtaining to God's righteousness. So when we come to Christ at the cross, he takes our sin. And he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. And he imputed, he gave us his righteousness. And now although I fail him all the time, I try and walk before him, I try and live before him, I try and keep the company of Hebrews 12 every day. But I fail him, I falter, I fall, but yet his grace still covers, for I am under the new covenant of blood. The covenant of grace. Here we have... The new covenant, and we're told it's a better covenant. Here's the thing. I'm going to wrap this up in a moment, and then we're going to go home. We're going to go into this in the unfolding weeks. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, who made the covenant with Noah, who made the covenant with Abraham, who made the covenant with Moses, Who made the covenant with David and who came and kept all the covenants 
and made the new covenant by hanging on the cross and dying for us. The same Lord Jesus Christ, we're told, that when he could swear by none other, he swore by himself. God had to swear by himself, Hebrews 6 and 13. He could swear by none other because man would fail. Every one of us would let him down. So he swore by himself and he keeps you this morning. He forgives you this morning. He loves you this morning. He blesses you this morning for his own name's sake. Not for you. Not because of you. But in spite of you. Now isn't that good to know? That even though that we think we're feeling rough this morning. We're not feeling very spiritual this morning. We're not feeling very good this morning. It's not how you feel or what you think. It's who he is. I change. He changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the ties, says the hymn writer. So maybe you're winning today and you're failing and you're faltering and you're saying, Lord, I'm weak this morning. Then he is strong in you this morning. He's promised never to leave you nor to forsake you. He is the one who said to Noah, build an ark. He is the one who came to Abraham and said, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's the one who came to Moses and gave him the law. The one who said to, to David, you'll never want a man to sit on your throne forever. It'll be perpetual. He is the one who came and done it all. Listen to what Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says of him. For all the promises of God. Notice, not some, not a couple, not a few, not many or most of them. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, or so be it. So be it. When we are in Christ, we are keeping good company. We are coming to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The God who we could not reach the God who we could not attain to. The God where he was high and lifted up, lofty above all others, came down to man, came down to you and I, and he saved us to lift us up to him. Isn't that lovely this morning? To lift us up to him. So, he is the mediator of the new covenant Hebrews 12 and 24, and I finish. The word mediator here, seven times in the New Testament, the word mediator is used. And it is the word mesitas. Mesitas. He is the mesitas of the new covenant. The word mesitas simply means one who intervenes between two. Your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God, we're told. Big separation. There's a great gulf fixed. God was away far there and we were away down here and there's no way we could reach him. 
And one came to intervene between the two, the word of God. See, the word came to a man, to a prophet, and he spoke the word. It took on flesh in the form of a prophet in the sense he spoke through the vocal cords. And the word came in theophany form and stood with the three Hebrew children in the fire. But here the word is made flesh. And he comes, son of the living God. He comes himself. God takes the hand of the sinner. And he takes the hand of the Father as the Son of God. And he is the mediator. He is the conduit. He is the go-between. He is the one who reconciles and links together the sinner and the Savior. Links to God. And we are one with God in Christ this morning. And all the promises of God are in him. Flow to Christ and they flow to you and I this morning. And you and I are the recipients of the blessings of the kingdom. First Timothy 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. He gave himself for you. And for me, that you and I could be in his kingdom. And that you and I would receive the covenanted promises of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his holy name forever. Bless his name.